electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Anthony Scaramucci. Yes, he of the 11-day White House stint. I've been humbled by life. I've been humbled by markets, humbled by politics. The investor on politics, the U.S. economy, and Bitcoin's big rise. Just go back to 1971 when we pulled ourselves off the gold standard. The U.S. dollars lost 98% of its purchasing power in 52 years. Google versus its own AI. Michael Furtick on the controversy plaguing big tech. Over time, if left unchecked, this fictitious information that came from Gemini and comes from other models, you don't have to just pick on Google, will find its way into our knowledge sphere. Plus, are you comfortable talking about money? Our Sharon Epperson is. I'm always talking about money. I go home, I talk about money, I talk about money here, I talk about money to my friends. Are you just shameless? But it turns out talking about finances is more difficult than talking about death or talking about sex. This is getting awkward very quickly. It's Tuesday, February 27th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Andrew by in three, two, one. Cue Andrew. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan. Becky is off today. Maybe uh, the story is Bitcoin. People say, why are you looking at the stock market all day? Bitcoin it was over 57,000 uh, at one point. That's kind of as right. far as action this morning. That might be more interesting than what we're seeing in, uh, in the equity market. Well, so we're going to talk about that and a lot more with our next guest. I yep. uh, want to team up with this, though. First, J.P. Morgan Chase's CEO, Jamie Dimon, speaking to CNBC about the odds of a soft landing for the economy. Listen to what he had to say about it. 70 or 80 percent chance we'll have a soft landing. I give it half that. We may very well have one, but I think there's, there was also a higher chance in the market things of rates being a little bit higher. The other thing I think it's always a mistake to do is look at just the year. All these factors we talk about, QT, fiscal spending, deficits, the geopolitics, those things may play out over multiple years. But they will play out and they will have an effect. And we just don't know what they are. So I'm just, you know, in my mind, I'm kind of kind of cautious about everything. We're going to get into that. Bitcoin and so much more. Join us right now. Anthony Scaramucci, founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital. It's great to have you on the broadcast this morning, Anthony. Um, let's just take on the Jamie Dimon comments first. I'm so curious what your reaction was to that. Listen, you know, uh, Andrew, he's one of the smartest people in financial services, if not the smartest. So I enjoy listening to him and I always try to factor in what he's saying. Um, the economy does feel very strong. I don't see how the Fed, though, doesn't cut rates eventually because of the deficit spending problem that the U.S. is facing. Uh, and I think those rate cuts will save the economy from going into recession. But, you know, Jamie's a very smart guy. He's smarter than me. And so I always listen to him. Of course, I'm at intellectual odds with him related to Bitcoin. Uh, but listen, uh, anytime he speaks, I listen. He's one of the few people, including yourself, that I have on my uh, Google alert. God bless you. Well, let me ask you this. 
Um, you, you just mentioned Bitcoin. He is at odds uh, with you on that subject. He's been, I'm not going to say he's been right about Bitcoin. He's probably been wrong about Bitcoin. He, he might have been right about actually the economy thus far because he did say that he didn't think there were going to be, uh, you know, interest rate cuts coming so quickly. And, and, and on that score, he has uh, been 100 percent correct. On Bitcoin, he's been a lot less correct. We're looking at $56,925 on Bitcoin. We're now, what, about a month and a half, two months after uh, these exchange-traded funds uh, have been uh, up and running and approved. Sort of walk through the math of where you think this all goes. Well, I mean, the first thing I would say, though, and, you know, because I know Jamie does listen to your show, hopefully he catches this segment, I would just ask him to please do more homework because, People like Paul Tudor Jones or Stan Druckenmiller or somebody like Larry Fink, who's actually done the homework, um, were perhaps negative on Bitcoin prior to doing the homework. Andrew, it's a one-way ticket towards Bitcoin if you actually do the homework to fully understand the asset. But specifically, if you look at the last 14 years, uh, you usually get a quadruple after a halving. And so Bitcoin right now is trading 57,000. I'm not sure where it'll be uh, on or about April 20th when the halving actually takes place. Uh, but let's say it's at 50,000. That would imply over 18 months from the halving a $200,000 Bitcoin price. So uh, the price is going up primarily because there's not a lot of supply out there. And yet you're seeing these... Uh, Bitcoin ETFs coming into the marketplace with 12 to 14 times what's available in terms of what the network is producing every single day. And so that's why you're seeing this price squeeze. And of course, you do have people that don't believe in Bitcoin that are short Bitcoin. And so they're getting wrecked right now. And I think that's the combination of why you're seeing such great price appreciation. You know, we were talking to Mike Novogratz, um, I don't know, I think it was two weeks, about yeah. a week, a week and a half ahead. ago. And he did make the argument that this is obviously, I don't know, obviously, it's going to go higher, likely to go higher. Uh, also said he could see a retreat before it goes higher. Right now, this is all adoption. This is new buyers coming in and being told the big picture story that you need to have this in your portfolio because we've got fiscal irresponsibility that's not going away. And this is a hard asset. And more and more people are believing, you know, despite Jamie Dimon, despite Elizabeth Warren, that this is a hard asset. Where are you on that? Because I think there are a lot of people, frankly, who missed the bus this t this time round. They felt they were burned the first time round or the second or third time round. Um, how, do you, how do you see the trading pattern here? Again, I've been humbled by life. I've been humbled by markets, uh, humbled by politics. So uh, when I make these predictions, I'm often wrong. But I do feel it's going higher. It's very hard to figure this stuff out in the short term. But I'll leave you with this thought. If gold is a $16 trillion asset and Bitcoin has a lot of the same properties as gold, then I would make a case that it's better than gold because it's easier to move around. Uh, it should trade to at least half of that. Uh, it's at that trillion dollars right now. And so that would be an 8x. Uh, and again, that's from now until 2030. So I can't predict the near term, Andrew. Uh, but this is something that we put on in October of 2020. I've got a lot of uh, railroad tracks on my back as a result of putting this on. I mean, I'm happy to report to you guys that our fund has done very well. I mean, past performance is not indicative of future performance, but the last 18 months for Skybridge have been very good as a result of staying in this. And I think this is a big lesson to investors. If you do the homework, even if you're wrong short term, stay in something uh, and you'll likely be rewarded if you've got the thing right on fundamentals.
Michael Saylor can tell you about that too, I guess, right, Mooch? He, he no matter no, what. Well, no question. Listen, uh, Michael led me into it. You know, my, you know, you know, Joe. You probably know this. Michael made his first Bitcoin investment in August of 2020, and I think Skybridge owes him a great debt because he explained a lot of this to us. He came right. on during COVID into one of our salt talks. And we started making our investments in October, a few months after him, at higher prices, I might add. It is weird, Anthony. I, I, it became very, I, like, like you said, it became very clear to me the first time I did any homework at all. And it, wasn't, it was an hour. It, that's all it took. And it's a little bit frustrating. I think most people, they, they, and it's easy, so easy to be negative on Bitcoin and just call it the beanie babies. But I know that they haven't, I, know, I don't think Charlie Munger, I, I'm almost certain They've never really just looked at, at a chapter on exactly what, what the asset is and, and how it works, or, or the properties of money uh, over 4,000 years. Because there's like six or seven things, and you can just, I mean, money isn't always backed by a government. It's used by society to account for, for what you do so you can exchange it for what someone else does. It's that simple, and, and you can see well, the properties of it. And it you know, it's so elegant. It makes so much sense that I just wish they would do the homework, just like you. That's that's your answer now. They need to do the homework. You don't even argue. Just do the that. homework. But but Joe, I'll just offer this out to people. The ascent of money by Professor Neil Ferguson goes into that four thousand year history that you're describing. Right. And somebody like Professor Ferguson is a pro Bitcoiner because Bitcoin checks all of the boxes. Better and than last. Yeah, yeah, better than that. Exactly. And the last the last point, you know this, the central banking community has been a little bit of a drunk driver with the money. Uh, just go back to 1971 when we pulled ourselves off the gold standard. Uh, the U.S. dollars lost 98 percent of its purchasing power in 52 years. And so Satoshi Nakamoto in the white paper basically said, look, maybe they're drunk driving with the money and maybe we can create a decentralized system uh, where the assets are harder. And, you know, Andrew was debating Tom Lee last week. I saw that interview. I guess what I would say to Andrew, read the ascent of money and you'll understand that this decentralized, fully transparent uh, currency uh, is definitely going to rise in value. And again, maybe it won't be the currency standard for the world, but it certainly can replace gold or be alongside of gold as a store of value. Uh, and I certainly, Larry Fink thinks that. Right. Otherwise, he wouldn't what, be out there with his what, uh, ETF. What's your larger take on, on Ethereum? And, and more importantly, what's your larger take on what the government is going to do to the extent it's going to be approving or disapproving of more of these kind of ETFs and the like? Do they have to, you know, are folks going to have to go to court to get, uh, get you know, Gary Gensler on board? And, and how do you think about the politics of it all? Well, I mean, listen, you know, Mr. Gensler has lost several court cases uh, he'll probably slow down the Ethereum decision. I know that decision. He's administratively obligated to make a decision in late May, uh, but there's ways he could slow that down. Uh, but I do predict that you'll get an Ethereum ETF by the end of uh, the year. Uh, if you look at the Ripple case, Ethereum is likely going to be deemed a commodity, which will make it acceptable to put into an ETF. But, Andrew, listen, they've lost the cases, and this speaks to the rule of law in the United States, the reason why we are the haven for capital around the world. Uh, we have a very flat structure, lots of checks and balances. Uh, and the SEC was hand-checked mm -hmm. by, the, by the court system. You know, they lost that case. 
uh, and they were deemed arbitrary and capricious in not allowing for the cash ETF. Anthony, I want to talk politics for a moment. Obviously, you worked for President Trump. You have been, I don't know if I can put you in the Never Trumper camp, but I think in the Never Trumper camp. On steroids. Okay, hold on, hold on. Just hang tight. No, I mean, you can't Um, can't call me Never Trump, guys. I was with Trump. No, I know. You're one of the most most outspoken critics now. But my question. I'm trying to help out the democracy, Joe. I'm trying to. Uh, Save the Republic for your grandchildren. Then close the border. Let's start with that. Hold on, hold on, Joe. (laughs) So my question to Anthony, though, is this. We are now watching, and including we just had uh, one one of um, Vice President Pence's colleagues on the broadcast, who I I think is very reluctant, frankly, to vote for Trump, but seems to be inclined to do so. There's a number of folks... Uh, who I think are, who were hoping Nikki Haley might have a shot. I think they know she doesn't have a shot at this point, and they may very well uh, switch too. And, and you saw Jamie Dimon's comments in Davos too. I well, mean, I think Jamie Dimon's comments, comments were, were but, a little but, bit different than, than they were because what he was saying there. that well, he's saying Democrats shouldn't just yes, write it. Yes, that was all. a warning. But he did say he was right about this, right about that. Sure, right but at, that, was, that was he was saying that in the context. He wasn't saying that. I, I, I'm going I'm to speak on behalf of Jamie. I think for a second. I don't think he was saying. He was right about this or that, and go out and vote for him. I don't think that he was telling no, people. No, he wasn't. He said, don't, he was don't saying, demonize He was saying, deplor- don't demonize them. But I think there's a lot of people who have taken those comments and tried to twist oh, right. them as no, uh, he's somehow that vote. he's voting for them Probably or not. suggesting that they should. People are growing. They're hungry to grow. They're innovating. It's, it's everywhere. It's not just Silicon Valley. So we've got this great hand. But when people say MAGA, they're actually looking at people voting for Trump, and they think they're voting, and they're basically scapegoating them that you are like him. Uh, and, but I don't think they're voting for Trump because of his family values. And if you look, just take a step back, be honest. He was kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. He grew the economy quite well. China, Trade, China ta- virus. Tax reform worked. Mm-hmm. He was right about some of China. I don't, th- I don't like no, what he did. No, I said China virus. Yeah, I understand. When he, when he, yeah. he may have been right. He, he, and I don't like how he said things about I Mexico. I don't like, but he wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues. And that's why they're voting for him. And, and I think people should be a little more respectful of our fellow citizens. And when you guys have people up here, you should, have, you should always ask the why. Not like it's a binary thing. You're supporting right. Trump. You're not supporting Trump. But, Anthony, you're the guest. You don't need to hear us uh, go on and on. What do you think about what's happening here? All right. Well, there's a lot there. So let's just start out as you can't call me a never Trumper because I was with Donald Trump. Uh, remember, I got fired after 11 days in the White House, but I did, did spend eight months on the campaign, did 71 campaign stops and countless media at hours of advocacy on his behalf. Uh, but again, this is, again, just like research on a security. Uh, if you look at his behavior, you look at the things he did in the White House, how he handled COVID, you look at the insurrection on January 6th, Donald Trump is not going to beat Joe Biden. He doesn't have the crossover vote in the Republican Party. Bernie Sanders voters did not vote for Hillary Clinton in 2016, which is probably one of the many reasons why she lost that election, even though winning the popular vote. And and his base is getting smaller. But what Jamie Dimon was saying and what Joe often says, you have to take into account. You can't call 75 million people that live in the country Uh, deplorable. You can't demonize those people. There are real grievances in the society. I saw it firsthand on that first campaign. And what I would tell people, particularly the Democrats, uh, get your house in order, get your house in order with things like the border, things like crypto. 
uh, because, you know, if you lose, you're going to lose because of people like Elizabeth Warren and Gary Gensler and not understanding uh, that there's a lot of people in the country, blue collar people whose living standards have gone down as a result of inflation and who feel economically desperational, guys. You know, I grew up, my dad, who we lost in September of last year, was a crane operator on Long Island for 42 years. And uh, we lived in the middle class. He was an economically aspirational blue-collar worker. We've turned those people into economically desperational people. You better listen to them, and you better get re-engaged with them, because a lot of those people are supporting Donald Trump, despite the fact that he has these indictments and these accounts against him, and despite the fact that, you know, let's face it, he's a little nuts. Yeah, but, but, but people are supporting Biden, despite the fact that he's showing signs of, of not being like he was a couple as I'll, recently I'll as a couple of years. Have you seen him on Seth Meyers, by the way? He was I'll, awesome I'll on Seth Meyers. But, but four years I'll from four years. I know, I know you said that. I, that. Well, people sometimes will take, uh, you know, I, I've said weekend at Bernie's, weekend at Biden's. We have talked. You'd well, rather have a guy that's not there the at all that's not than, than, than Joe, Trump. That's better than and then one you got Kamala Harris. You got Kamala Harris. Waiting in the back. And, 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 you know, Joe Biden has his own character issues, Anthony. Don't think he does it with Biden LLC well, and most, everything most, else. Joe, it's such a no, false equivalency. Do. What, but if it's weekend at Bernie's versus the one floor with the cuckoo's or, nest, I'm going with one floor over the cuckoo's nest. I, 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 would cancel out, I would cancel out that and go with policies. And that's what Republicans are doing, Anthony. But, they want but to close Joe, the he's a threat they to want, the democracy, Joe. He's, well, that's Joe, hyperbole. you had, oh, that's you had a guy on... Mark that's your Schwartz, opinion. That's your opinion. My opinion is he's that's hyperbolic. That democracy is going to survive. Uh, I understand well, your come opinion, on, Joe. Well, Mark you Schwartz think- will tell you he tried to get he tried to get Mike Pence killed on the sixth of January. Joe, come on. Okay. Oh, come on. You got to look at the this facts is all for what they are. Hyper, this Be is a hyperbolic. Good analyst, I don't. I, I I do not conceive now, how do you democracy is at Bring risk. Mike Pence on, Joe. Bring Mike. How- is Mike Pence supporting Donald Trump? Oh, come on. No, but John Thune is, and Mike Johnson is, and Kevin McCarthy is, and the Republican None Party of the is, members and seventy-five. Are all, okay, so all these people are stupid or treasonous, right, Anthony? All the people that support no, they Trump like political are, pa- Joseph. They like political power, Joe. And you don't they like political power political back in power back in the like guy. Political power. You don't think Democrats like political power? I'm sure they do. They're propping they do, this guy up sure. that, that has no oh, business. I, I'm sure they do. But what one is just in a totally different league than the other. No, I, I, I'm just, that's why that's why we're going to have an election. And that's why obviously. we have a market. Anthony Scaramucci is great to have you on the right, broadcast. Well, Looking forward to, to seeing back, you guys. again Thanks for having me. soon. Thank you. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, why Google has taken its AI text-to-image generator offline for now, and how technologists can fix bias and inaccuracies in artificial intelligence. Futurist and AI investor Michael Furtick. It is a big deal that Google, which is now the paper of record for the internet, the way the New York Times might have been one day in the past, the paper of record for the world, is creating fictitious and historically impossible images. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. 
From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm producer Katie Kramer. Google has had a month. In early February, the company rebranded its AI as Gemini and launched a text-to-image generator. The rollout, part of a huge deal for AI abilities, as CEO Sundar Pichai explained to our Andrew Ross Sorkin just a few weeks ago. Gemini Advanced has uh, access to uh, Ultra 1.0, which is our uh, most capable model till date. It just gives you more capabilities. It's particularly good at complex queries, multi-turn queries. It has very good workspace integration. Uh, it is built from the ground up to be natively multimodal. So when you attach images and query, it really shines. You can use the Gemini app on your phone and say, tell me more about what I'm seeing on my screen. So it's really capable along those dimensions. But then the issues began. Users started posting online inaccurate and questionable responses from the image generator. And a few went viral on social media. One post, a screenshot of a user asking Gemini to show a German soldier in 1943. The tool depicted a racially diverse set of soldiers all wearing German uniforms. A request for a historically accurate depiction of a medieval British king yielded pictures of rulers diverse in race and gender as well. Then Elon Musk got involved. He reposted screenshots of Gemini's response to a prompt asking whether, to avoid a nuclear apocalypse, a person should misgender Caitlyn Jenner. The tool responded, no, don't misgender, and shared the dangers of both issues. Then, responding to a prompt asking whether Elon Musk's meme tweeting or Adolf Hitler was worse for society, Gemini wrote that it could not definitively answer either way. You might have seen Musk's post on X in response to much of this. It's alarming, he wrote, referring to Google's, quote, woke bureaucratic blob. Google has taken the image generator offline to fix some of these issues and hopes to restore it in a few weeks when it works the way the company intended. Let's dig into all of this with our next guest and get back to Joe and Andrew. Joining us right now to discuss mistakes and bias in AI is Michael Furtick, is the founder of Heroic Ventures. Good morning to you. Uh, this has caused uh, a lot of consternation, a lot of commotion, uh, frankly, uh, around the country, around the world. Uh, the pendulum swung one way. Is it going to swing the other way? Michael, how big a deal is this? And, and why are these things happening? I, I think it is a big deal that Google, which is the source of truth, for any number of topics in our lives. You, your producers, your colleagues rely on Google for information probably hundreds of times a day. It is a big deal that Google, which is now the paper of record for the internet, the way the New York Times might have been one day in the past, the paper of record for the world, is creating fictitious and historically impossible images 
for example, depicting the founding fathers as African-American men or Asian women, or refusing to answer or declining to answer who is more evil, Adolf Hitler or Elon Musk. Over time, if left unchecked, this fictitious information that came from Gemini and comes from other models, you don't have to just pick on Google, will find its way into our knowledge sphere, will find its way into schools, will find its way into curriculum and lessons because teachers will incorporate what they find, right. students will incorporate what they find when they write essays, and then we will further miseducate the younger generations with bad information and bad history. And the things that we think are bad about our current political electorate will get right. only worse. So I think it is so a Michael, very you've, you've set the table quite nicely. The real question is, can these things be fixed? And how are they gonna be fixed in real time, uh, over time? They so can that be fixed. So we're always getting the most accurate information that actually exists out there. If in fact, what it's really doing is pulling from all sorts of other places, some of which is gonna be accurate and some of which is not. So I like what you just said. There's sort of garbage in, garbage out. That's true, you have to make sure they're pulling from good sources, but there's also what lends these, these models, which are inherently dumb. They have to be taught how to think the way any other machine has to be taught how to think. It's the lens that these, these models are given or that's applied to these lenses by the political officers who operate and work and control large bureaucracies at these companies insist on applying. There is a political class, a political officer class, just as there was in the Soviet Union. It is very real. These are unreviewable people, and many of them grifters who are unemployable outside of these very, very specific jobs that they have in choosing the political future and the ideological Hold truth. On. Who are the grifters? And I think you have a group of bureaucrats who work at companies like Google, like Meta, who are in charge of something called ethics or something called political compliance, who are effectively unemployable people, but they have through their PhDs and through their consulting gigs and through their self-appointed roles as political truth seekers or ideological truth seekers become the arbiters of truth for okay, the so outputs of these models. Who should be the arbiter models. of truth? Because the, tr you know, the truth is if, 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 if Google hired Joe Kernan and Andrew Sorkin, we might get somewhere close to Well, we might, but at the same time, I'm sure there would be people who would say, you know, that Joe has one view of the universe and they would say that Andrew has another view of the universe. Michael, I, saw I would take I would take a combo of Joe and Andrew every day. Over the kinds of well, thank you. But because we don't have that now. We have 10 Andrews. Oh, on most of these, let, on let, most let of these not, sites. Let me not no, name check. Let me not hey, name check the guilty. But, but but Michael, when when I saw some of the recent stuff, shocking. They I, I asked myself, this just looks more like more gigo. The people putting the garbage in and the AI spits the garbage out. Or oh, I think it's worse than that, Joe. It, how do they I, do it? How do they do it? How does AI decide to be as woke? as the original people running Twitter. How did it turn Wait, out that can way? I, I, just want to, I don't want to speak over Michael. I just want to say one thing, though. Yeah. What happened, yeah. this, the reason this happened to begin with right. was because the truth was two and three years, four years ago, when, if you looked at some of the Google AI originally, it was super biased against minorities, like super biased, like white men, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, the if, you, Google AI, if well, you go back and look was at that what, Gigo too, how did that happen? That was three or four years was ago. Was it Gigo? So, garbage in, garbage out. How did it happen? Arguably, I don't know. Who, but who, I think one of the things that happened was you had this pendulum so swing, so they were trying to correct so they, that. Michael, am I wrong there? 
I'm not familiar with the history that you're describing, but I would never characterize you as wrong, Andy, Andrew, under any circumstances. What I can say is that this, whether it's overcorrection or just the innocence and naivete of the model, um, it is pernicious and untrue. And the, the problem is, I'm gonna launch myself into your earlier conversation with the Mooch, whom we know and love. The problem is that the same people who will accuse Donald Trump of making up falsehood and doubling down on falsehood will come to the defense of a faceless, implacable model from a public company that no one really wants to take responsibility for when it comes up with historically inaccurate images. It may be intellectually interesting or stimulating. It may be right. educationally inspiring to talk about an alternate history. And there may be a lot of reason aesthetically or politically to review the, 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 the failures of history. Yeah. But these institutions, the reason we're talking about this on CNBC instead of MSNBC is that these ideologies are not just in the political sphere. They have now entered the shareholder universe. They have entered the business right. sphere. Yeah. And the political officers that we're talking about, whether they were, right. I don't remember that moment you're referring to, Andrew, on sort of on the right, but yep. now certainly on the left, and no one accused the, the Silicon Valley of being right wing. Well, no right. one should, anyway. The hey, political Michael. officers are very, very well equipped to getting right. you fired if you have any dissent. Yes, Andrew, sorry. I apologize. We are up against a hard break. We always look forward to seeing you, and we hope to do it again well, very, very soon. Next time, we'll continue. Sharon's coming on in a second. We got to talk about Sex it. I'll talk about all day long. You know what I don't like talking about? Yeah. This is getting awkward very quickly. Well, you're worried about sex. Can you, would you no, rather talk about death this or sex? It's a morning show. Sharon's Six coming on. Five. Sharon's coming on in a couple of seconds. So blame her for the awkwardness. I'm just referencing what we said at the top. And that is that people would rather talk about yeah, but death I, than talk about uh, their money. personal finances. Right. You added the I'm other part. Ask, no, I added, uh, that said it in the prompt. It said they'd, except for sex. That's what I said you added. No, I didn't add that. That was Intel proper. Now I'm asking you. Yeah. Would you rather talk about death or sex? Or is it sort of the same thing to, to, you, to you? I can't, I can't Just even get have your, these conversations. Get your thoughts you. in order because Sharon's coming on. on and I don't, data, want, I don't the, want you to be so tongue-tied uh, well, when, tongue -tied. Tongue -tied. when we're having a when we're having a discussion. Well, it's very hard. It's a lot of tongue-tied. You knew it was coming. How come uh, you're tongue-tied? Uh, my tongue is tied. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> Take a, we you need to go to here. break. We gotta go to break, but you started it. Stay right there. We're talking about talking about money, which is harder to talk about than, well, a lot of things. More Squawk Pod right ahead. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. Let's talk about money. I mean, this is CNBC. A new survey by Wells Fargo finds that discussing personal finance is harder than talking about religion or even politics or death, and, but almost as hard 
uh, to talk about. Not on this network, it's not talk hard. About, it's hard. Like, talking about money. No, we talk about it a lot, right? All day long. The other stuff is hard for some people. Yep. Okay. Talking about money is what uh, senior CNBC's senior personal finance correspondent, Sharon Epperson, does uh, best. So, Sharon, take it away. Well, Joe, we're talking about a Wells Fargo study, and they did a deep dive into how people feel about money, surveying just over 3,000 adults, about 1,800 women and 1,600 men. Now, when asked directly about the difficulty of talking about sex compared to finances, 47% say having an open and honest conversation about their money is more challenging than discussing their romantic life. Half of women are reluctant to talk about money because they consider it a private topic compared to 41% of men. Women are also more likely to say they don't want to talk about money because they feel they may be judged. Age made a difference too. More than half of younger women tend to say feeling judged made them avoid talking about money versus 35% of women overall. Now, financial advisors and wealth managers, for them the takeaway is to think about how you frame conversations with clients so that men and women feel like they have control over their own choices and are not made to feel like their ideas are wrong. While a large majority of respondents overall say they have a clear picture of what they want to do with their money, almost half report having no more than vague financial strategies to reach their goals. And women are more likely than men to say their strategy is vague or they don't even have one. The study look into where people actually go for financial advice. What's, what's fascinating is they go to friends. They go to friends, friends far more than they go to a financial advisor, maybe even seeking advice from parents or other family members. But financial advisors, not as great as what they were doing with their friends. And then a small percentage, but a, a significant percentage still, are going to financial influencers, bloggers, and other folks for advice as well. I still feel like we can help in this, and what we are right now. We obviously. are, absolutely. But we do this how many hours a day? I don't know. We do it a lot. Would you say 12 to 15 hours, hours a day? We do totally. it a lot. You mean a live programming? Yeah. I mean, talking about money. Well, in Almost the U.S. 24 from hours. 5 a.m. in the morning, and if you include the international right. uh, CNBC, it's 24 Probably hours 24 hours. I'm and always talking about money. I go home, I talk about money, I talk about money here, I talk about money to my friends. You're just shameless. Parents. You're just shameless. You're, so yeah. uncouth. Yeah. Such an uncouth topic. <laughs> All right. But when you watch, when you're looking at TV and you're, or you know, you're streaming stuff, people are talking about everything but money. They, right. you know, it's so open to talk about your romantic life, to talk about sex, but not to talk about money. Money, right? You That's know? weird. I, I remember when I was younger, I would look at the cover of like a Cosmopolitan and look. I, I would see some of the subject matter. It's like you've got to be kidding me. It's on a magazine stand and it's like <gasps> screaming this crazy stuff, but not money. No, no, not money. One, one little column if you're lucky. Yeah. Who was that? that who was doing Cosmo? Was that, uh, remember, that lady that was in charge? I forget her name. But, yeah, I mean, that, that pushed the envelope. Um, thank you. Thank you, Sharon. Gotcha. Thank And you said, blame me, too. This is you. This is, I didn't do anything except respond. But thank you. Andrew? Trying to figure out. I mean, I remember her so well. Yeah. Uh, Helen Gurley Brown. Yes. Yes. That's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. What you're thinking about. She revolutionized what women's magazines. Yeah, what you can put on the, cover, can put on the cover of, of a magazine. magazine.
If you are a woman like Sharon who actually loves to talk about money, or you want to be one, CNBC is having a special virtual event, Women and Wealth, on March 5th. You can register at cnbc.com slash events. The link is in today's episode notes as well. But that's it for the pod today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Please tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and get the best of our TV show right in your ears when you follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 